Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I was looking online at Mother's Day sermons just to, you know, see what's out there. Not that I would ever use one, but they're all really cool, like, you know, Proverbs 31 and, you know, lifting up women and all this stuff. And, well, I'm talking about sin this morning. Well, so I'm a good time party guy, you know, like we take the Mother's Day. But, hey, you, you go where the text leads, right? And it's really a powerful text this morning. It's not an unfamiliar passage for you, but I hope we can drill deep in the next few minutes together. Because John is calling us back to authentic, real Christianity. He's, he's asking his readers in the first century to come back to doctrine, to come back to orthodoxy, because they were drifting over into Gnosticism, this belief system that you could be saved through knowledge and through enlightenment. But we know, of course, that the only way to be saved is at the foot of the cross. The only way to be saved is by repentance and submission and acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we are saved by faith through the grace of God. But part of that process is dealing with sin. Because if we don't deal with sin, sin separates us from God. It hurts our relationship with God. It causes us to live our lives in shallow water. And so this morning, if you are hesitating to deal with sin, I hope that this passage will be an encouragement to you because it is powerful and it's real. And if we do what it says, we will find joy. We will find life. And in a very real way this morning, we are going to confess our way to freedom. And I really want you to be free. I do. So take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the passage. It's 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. And again, it's a familiar passage to you, but it's powerful, and it speaks to where we are as a culture, and I think it speaks to where we are as a church. Now, last week as we began this walk toward authentic Christianity, we learned that we can walk in relationship with Christ, in the light, not just according to the rules, but with Jesus. And we all stood together in in unison at the end of the service. The vast majority of people stood and said, yes, I'm in. I want authentic Christianity. I'm going to walk through this with my fellow churchgoers here at Ridgewood, and we're going to find authentic Christianity together. And today we're going to go to a big piece of that, and that is repentance and then the receiving of grace and forgiveness. And so let's take a look at the text, beginning in verse 8. And really, here's the, here's the truth that John, that John throws out. Sin kills, confession brings life. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so we start to march toward this idea of recognizing who we are in Christ. And let me tell you that this idea of confession is counterintuitive. Because 
pride is part of our sin problem. And so we don't like to go deep. We don't like to search the heart. We don't like to expose ourselves and be vulnerable because we don't know what we're going to find there. But this all starts at a very basic level. But it starts with truth. And here's the thing. If we want to deal with sin, we have to begin with the truth about who we are. And this is really, really important. So if you notice, again, these verses, there's like bookends. You have verse 8 and then verse 10 and verse 9 right in the middle. And verse 8 and 10 are very similar. At the beginning of verse 8, we see if we say we have no sin... And then in 10, very similar language. If we say we have not sinned, and then in each case, the result is that we are being deceitful. The end of verse 8, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, 8 and 10 kind of give the bookends to where the passage starts and ends, but right in the middle, there's a fabulous promise. But this is a circular pattern that John uses, and it drives people nuts because it's hard to outline. It's hard to preach through because he circles around and he goes back to ideas. But John is amazingly authentic. He, if you're taking a Greek class, the prophet will always say we're going to start with the Gospel of John because it's simple and it's not fancy stuff, but it's beautiful and it's truthful. And what John is trying to get across here is that we do sin. And if we fail to acknowledge that, we are failing to acknowledge God's commands for us. So the basic understanding of who we are in Christ, if we say we have no sin, and if we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. Now notice how John puts himself into that. We. He uses present and past tense. We have sinned, we, we will sin today, and we're going to sin in the future. And we can't accept God's forgiveness unless we're willing to deal with who we are and we're willing to offer our confession. So we'll find hope in that middle verse. But look at the truth of Scripture as it relates to sin. If you doubt that you are a sinner, Romans 3.10 tells us this, As it is written, none is righteous. Not even one. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world and deceit through sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all sinned. And so every single one of us is in this thing together. And John is so blunt. If we don't acknowledge this, we make God out to be a liar. And so what we're facing is a cultural battle to try to deal with this. This, again, is not a part of who we normally are. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of Christ to draw us deep into his place where he can then minister to us. But we first have to acknowledge that we're not perfect, that we have problems, and be vulnerable. Really hard to be vulnerable. Guys, are you with me on that? Hard to be vulnerable. Here's what Ray Steadman said. Ray Steadman is a longtime pastor, just an incredible guy. It goes against 
the grain to give an image of oneself that is anything less than perfect. And many Christians imagine that they will be rejected by others if they admit to any faults. But nothing could be more destructive to Christian fellowship than the common practice today of pretending not to have any problems. Isn't that right on? It is so right on. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.14, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's talking about mourning over sin. He's talking about looking at our sin, mulling over our sin, coming to grips with the depth and ugliness of our sin. And I would submit this morning that there are two basic problems that we have or reasons that we don't go deep and that we don't discover the freedom of confession that God is offering in this passage. First, I would say this. We are arrogant. Pride. The inability to see our own sin when we can clearly see everyone else's sin. You sit with me in an airport or in a mall when I'm on a people-watching mission sometime. Just don't record it. I mean, it's not in the White House, so nothing's being recorded. But, um, you know, it's not pretty sometimes. And I have to go before Christ and go, man, I am awful. But we segment people out. The evangelical world is full of this kind of judgment. You know, the, the idea of the, the gays, the atheists, the addicts, the partiers, Packers, you know, the whole thing. And we don't look at our own stuff like rebellion and judgment and gossip and bitterness and grabbing onto turf because sometimes we don't deal with that because it's not right out there in the open. We don't get caught and so we don't deal with it. But this is part of the Christian experience. We are arrogant. We think it's everyone else. Secondly, I don't think we deal with this because we're too busy. We're just too busy. We create ways, I'm convinced, to avoid dealing with our sin. And so... It is terrifying. It is lonely. It is dark to look at our sin. Who wants to go inside of this? Really. But when we do, we find freedom there. But what if our identity is wrapped up in who we think we are and not who we really are? And so what do we do? We get busy. We go to church a lot. We work a lot. We work out a lot. We run our kids around all the time. We find things to do because if we stared into darkness at who we really are, the truth may be too terrible to grapple with. That's our fear. I'm not saying it's the truth. That's our fear. And then what if we uncover things That someone else might look at and go, I don't love you anymore. That's the greatest fear in the human heart. If I expose who I really am, then I will never be loved again. 
And so we do what Ray Steadman said. We hide. And we put on masks. But here's the problem. We may get away with that for a while. But, but it's going to come out. We're going to come out who's who we really are. And secondly, that keeps us from a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. Because if you're willing to go deep, if you're willing to unplug from the matrix, if you're willing to just spend time with Christ, when you go into the deepest recesses of your soul and the Spirit penetrates you, then you find Christ there. That's where He is. He's not in the shallows of our culture. He's in the depths of a spiritual relationship with Him. And so... Yes, it's frightening. Yes, it's lonely. Yes, it's scary. But I, I, I'm begging you to go there because you'll find a new depth of relationship with Christ there. Authentic and real Christianity there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so, we all sin. That's John's first big point. Verses 8 and 10 tell us that clearly. But verse 9 gives us an amazing promise. So look at 9 with me. And this is really John's action point. The bookends tell us you've got serious problems. Verse 9 is where the hope lies. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a beautiful promise it really is and so here's the basic theme that john's getting at here confession brings forgiveness and it brings freedom the mantra of of the lord's ministry was repent for the kingdom of god is at hand when the disciples said how do we pray he said forgive us forgive us our trespasses so we can forgive those who trespass against us if you look at verse 7 for a moment, just look, glance up a, a, a verse. We see very similar wording here. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so in 9, it's cleanses from all unrighteousness. And the word cleanse in both of these verses is katharizo, which means to clean, which means to purify by washing. And the method that God uses to cleanse us is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. John saw his readers drifting off to this Gnosticism thing. This is big in our culture too. Don't call it that. Might call it New Age. Might call it positive thinking. Might call it the prosperity gospel. Whatever label you want to put on it. It's the idea that we can somehow manufacture happiness. And we can somehow be right with God. Without this idea of a depth of repentance. That's what John's driving at here. He's telling his readers, don't go there. So you might ask the question, why the blood of Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes I think that we freak out non-believers because we talk about blood all the time. I mean, imagine you coming in church for the first time and everything's blood. You know, you must be going like, wow, like this is a cult. I'm going to go to the Vikings. But here's the thing. The blood of Christ is incredibly important. It is the linchpin of our faith. It is the the activity that causes us to be free. And you see John's wording here, to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. So why blood? Because sin is a failure to conform to God's will. And we cannot just fix that. We must depend on Christ. If we look at Romans 5.12, we see the problem we have. Therefore, as though one man... As through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all sinned. Here's the first big problem we have to deal with and why the blood is so important. We have inherited guilt. And it comes from our representative, Adam. And so we stand guilty before God. Now you may say, wait a minute, hold on here. Why? Why should I be held responsible for Adam? And here's what I would say theologically. The first thing I would say isn't theological at all. I would say I think you have probably plenty of sins that you can just go guilty on your own. But the reason what the Bible is saying here is that we had a representative of the human race named Adam. He imputed us death and guilt But the second Adam, Jesus Christ then, who did a work and died on the cross and spilt his blood, then causes us to be righteous when we accept that into our own lives. And so if you want to deny that you're a a descendant of Adam and that you have a, a sin problem, then you're really denying that the second Adam is imputing you righteousness. Because Adam imputed death. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, imputed righteousness and life. How? Through his blood. And so we have a a problem with guilt. We also have a problem with a sin nature. And so if you look at Romans 5.19, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's that contrast. But because of Adam we now have a sinful nature that we grapple with. The wicked go astray, Psalm 58.3 says. And so we've put on a sinful nature. We battle with it. We try to stay pure. We try to walk with Christ. But the sinful nature is just at war in our hearts and souls. This comes from Adam. Thank you, Adam. In heaven, we're all going to be lined up, aren't we? Adam, hey, thanks, bud. And Adam's going to go like, hey, man, it was my wife. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to go, exactly, that's your problem. We have guilt and we have a sin nature. But even, even more problematic for us is we have a penalty that we must pay. And that penalty is, if we don't deal with it, eternal torment in hell apart from God because that is a just punishment for rebellion. And so... It had to be the blood of Christ. The stakes are so high, there's no way that we can make that right on our own. We cannot just will it to come together and be reconciled. It doesn't work that way. And so if you, if you look at this idea of blood, it comes down to the atonement of Christ. Here's the point. Freedom and forgiveness are possible only because of Christ's atonement. And when I speak of atonement, I'm speaking of the work of Christ. Just write that down. That point didn't come up. It's probably my fault, but here's the deal. Freedom and forgiveness are only possible because of the atonement of Christ. What's the atonement of Christ? The atonement of Christ is his work and ministry 
and his entire mission to save us. That's the atonement. And it came to fruition on the cross when he spilt his blood. Atonement means that we are brought into unity with God. That we no longer are on our own. We no longer face the penalty of death. That all happened through the blood of Christ. Because the precious blood of Christ is the key to this whole thing. Why blood? Because it was Jesus' blood that gives us hope. The reason John could write this is because of the blood of Christ, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so, this idea of blood is all over Scripture, and the atonement is all over Scripture. Peter writes in, in, in 1, 18 and 19, You know that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited certain from your fathers, with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You weren't ransomed by silver and gold. You can't buy your way in. You can't will yourself to obey your way in. Man, we've got puffed up Christians all over the place that have gone to church for all these years, so I want that parking space because I earned it. And I probably earned my place in heaven too. Wrong. Only through the blood of Christ. That's what John is writing here. And you see, the blood is connected with the perfect lamb. So why Christ? Because Jesus was divinity and human. Human made perfect. He could be our representative. How did he pay? Connected to the sacrificial system. You know, you look back in the Old Testament, and they were sacrificing all the time. They had all these different feasts. That's because the repetition is reminding us that we need one final atonement. One final sacrifice, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you look at Hebrews 9.12, it's very obvious. He entered once for all into the holy places, and by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Did you get that? Eternal redemption. But, but, it doesn't come unless we're willing to meditate on what it means and we're willing to give ourselves to Christ in submission to this idea. So why did God choose blood? It's because blood is life. Blood pumps through our bodies. It gives us Energy, it keeps us going. It is our life blood. When you would sacrifice an animal, the animal would sadly die, but the blood then would purify. And so we then put upon ourselves the blood of Jesus as we understand what John is saying here. He's understanding and saying that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what John is doing here, this is a call. This is a call for a decision. This is a call to confession. It's a call to do something about the bookends, the sin problem. And so I'm calling you this morning to confession because I want you to be free. And I don't want you to carry around all of your sin and all of your baggage and have it just squelch your relationship with Christ. I don't want that for you. I mean, you need to bring it before God. And I don't know what it is for you. 
Fathers, maybe it's the lack of, of love towards your wives, and you understand the fact that you're not loving her well. And on Mother's Day, you're thinking, wow, like, I need to engage more. I need to listen better. I need to be there at a deeper level. Or maybe it's about the kids. You know, I'm just, I, I'm angry at the kids all the time. I need to confess that. Or maybe it's a relationship that's long overdue for reconciliation. For all of us, maybe it's, it's, it's the thought life, the lust, the envy, the, the atrocious things that go through our minds that we need to confess because there's a pattern there. So I don't know what it is for you, but what John is telling us very clearly here is, yes, we have a sin problem. I mean, you want to look at it honestly? If you say you don't, you're deceiving yourselves and you're making God out to be a liar. But, but, if you're willing to confess your sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you see how it all fits together? We don't have his righteousness unless we confess our sin before him. And then when we are saved, when we invite him to be the Lord of our life, the control of our life, then his righteousness is imputed to us and that old sin nature from Adam falls by the wayside and righteousness then begins to direct us forward as we are transformed. That's when freedom comes. That's when joy enters in. And I just see so much hatred in Christian circles today. I see so much bitterness and anger. Man, I've just, like, I've had to unfollow people, unfriend people, because they're just angry. It's not how God wants us to live. And it's a terrible, terrible testimony to those who aren't believers. We need to confess this before God. So it's not just outward manifestations. I was sitting in the car shop, my favorite place yesterday, after I got past the shame of not knowing anything the guy was talking about. I was in the, the room there, and I'm of course, got my Bible, and I'm reading it dutifully. And Actually, I was, because I was like memorizing for today. And there was a couple right across the room, and I heard everything they were saying, and she's reading the star. And she's just remarking to her husband, I'm guessing it was, how, in her, her words, straight, white Christians. And she's just reading through, and she's reading all of this hate-mongering, and she's just totally turned off. And I'm thinking, wow, that's not the way it should be. She should be reading the star going, wow, these Christians really love people, don't they? And so maybe we have some major confession to do regarding attitudes. Because when we segment out, We take the light off of ourselves, and John is saying, put it right back where it belongs, right here. Stop deflecting. And so I'm going to give you a chance to do that this morning. Just bow your head, close your eyes, and I'll lead you through a prayer. An opportunity to be free. But it has to be yours. It has to be your confession. It has to be your will. And so let's just start with an idea. Just ask God for a moment, is there anything that you need to confess? What do I need to put before God this morning? Is it attitude, thoughts, actions? Just pray for a moment.
So this is more about than just acknowledging the sin. Now please confess that sin. Say you're sorry for that sin. And allow God to speak to you in that. And then tell God that you trust him to forgive you because of the text we just read. That you know that he has promised to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then just say a short prayer and say that and tell him that you receive his forgiveness and you receive his grace. And Jesus, all of us this morning, thank you for your work to cleanse us by your blood. Thank you for for offering full and complete forgiveness of any sin, any sin. The most horrible sins we're sitting here this morning and we're thinking, I don't think anybody in here ever would have done that. No, 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 no. We've all done things where we just want to put it in a closet and never look at it again. But God, you're calling us forward and you're giving us this hope that you will forgive us forever because of your blood and we can walk free. And we thank you for that and we praise you and we recognize our need for you, God. So now we're going to sing to you, God. We're going to sing about our need for you, and we're going to tell you, God, that there's no place else to go, that we can't do it on our own, we can't find the right methodology, the right religion, the right denomination, the right anything. All we can do is totally depend on you, and then we trust you, and we love you, and we thank you for everything that you bring to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand together. Let's sing and worship in the truth that we just read.